Welcome to the Heart of the Father podcast. We're glad you're here and able to listen in. We're praying the Lord will speak to your heart through this message and that you be transformed more and more into the image of Christ. Good evening. It is such an honor to be here. And I just want to thank you for the wonderful welcome and hospitality um, for my wife and I. Shawnee, if you can stand up. This is my wife, Chantel. We've been married for 17 years this December, and we have three kiddos, 10, 8, and 6, um, and she has been faithful, and um, she's part of, you know, the secret team that God put together uh, for, for a transformation that's ridiculous. And um, I just want to say to all those who are out there who are watching, um, you are not alone. This church has treated me very well. And for those who are dealing with same-sex attraction and gender identity issues, the welcome that they gave me is the welcome they're going to give you. And I want you to know if you're a parent out there um, that God loves you. And even though it seems like you're alone, you're not. And it is time to come forward. And so I want to encourage you and the ministries out there, um, when you see someone um, say something really nice to me, I'm just kind of a symbol in a way. And so I want to encourage you that there are many people that love you and they're waiting for you to share. So, um, yeah, as Brandon made it so wonderful in describing me, um, you know, all of us in here, if we were to be really honest, if we haven't dealt with same-sex attraction or gender issues ourselves, we know someone who has. And so I just want to kind of take that wall down that we have to protect ourselves or someone else. You don't need to be afraid that I'm going to like prophetically say something over you and out your dirty secret. So let's all just like, this is going to be really good. Okay. Um, So let's talk a little bit about our culture that has hit some pretty hard places. You know, if you have a smartphone, which everyone does now, um, then you know that there's just an onslaught of images and even propaganda and things, and it's hard to tell what is real and what is not. And I had this amazing experience this last year of moving from the inner city that was a very left-leaning political area to the most right-leaning country <laughs> area. And um, it was interesting to hear the two cities talk about each other, you know. Um, And one of the things that became very apparent is that there really was no difference anymore between the city and the country besides how much land your house was on and what your pets look like. And so I want to encourage you as we think, you know, this is just for this group of people or just for this group of people, This is now impacting all of us, and this is the perfect time for us to address it, to let the Lord in and let him do what he wants to do. So this last year, um, you might have seen we had the parental rights and education thing, bum, bum, bum. And that was a big political thing. In fact, a lot of this is social political And um, we had child protests with walkouts. I'm just going to go through some of this and kind of explain how this has changed. It used to be in a ministry like ours that um, from October to January was parent season. 
because there was a push for children to come out online and then the parents didn't know what to do and the kids were coming home for Thanksgiving and everyone's in a mad rush to figure out how to communicate to one another. And now what we have is three semesters of coming out that goes year round. And this is something that we are going to have to get used to. And one thing I wanna encourage you to do that the Lord revealed to me is when we have to have difficult conversations. Number one, we need to remember the deposit of the Holy Spirit. He has always been, he always will be, and you will never disappear. So no matter what the conversation is, I want to remind you to remember the Holy Spirit will never let you disappear. It'll be okay. We've had the ALA, the American Library Association, um, introduce um, the promotion of challenged books directly to the children um, in our schools and our um, public system. We've had this onslaught of change of language where there's definitions that directly oppose one another, and so we don't know where to start. We've had this, uh, this confusion come into the church with gay Christianity, which I call androgynous Christianity, where it's we really don't know what we're supposed to look like, and we're kind of guessing sometimes. Um, we've had some denominational turmoil. Um, we've had issues with funding for food for kids, whether or not the school is going to uphold some of these political gender things going on. It's just a little overwhelming, is it not? And so I want to encourage you, when these things come up on the screen, we have, I have a challenge with my kids. When something comes up that needs Jesus, we just pray. Amen. We're not going to waste time. We're just going to surrender it. And we just kind of toss it up to Jesus. And whoever starts the prayer gets an extra point. <laughs> and then if you do something about the prayer, you get an extra point. So anything we do, we don't waste our time. If we're going to pray, if someone's able to do something, they do it, they get an extra point that week. And so I want to encourage you, um, we don't need to eat from the tree of good and evil constantly. It just becomes bad entertainment. In the season the Lord gives it to you to deal with, that's when we're going to deal with it. And that's when we're going to be obedient. We've seen things with sports and the confusion of sports. And we have this thing, I'll tell you something locally that's going on where I am. We actually have um, a situation where you, you can go to a church in our town and get an ID of whatever name you want, and it will be treated as a legal government ID. And so these are the things that we are addressing specifically with our families and our loved ones and our government. And this went from something that was anathema, <laughs> How in God's green earth could this happen to now it's impacting us directly? So a lot of you have probably heard what people are like me are like who have left homosexuality or who found freedom in Jesus Christ or the ministries that we represent. And man, do they paint us with a pretty dark brush, right? Um, what's really incredible is we're just church, people. We're just church. So I just want to show you some images of what it would look like if you were to experience ministry. And this is one of them. So right now, you have experienced more of ex-gay ministry than most of the country. Does it seem pretty coercive? <laughs> That's right. 
So if you see, there should be some pictures on the screen. Yep. And so um, one of these is with us praying with people um, out in public. We do worship and testimony services and then pray with people over their concerns and what's going on. Um, we invite um, overcomers to our home and we do a Valentine's Day dinner for overcomers and singles. Um, and sometimes as a married couple, we forget that without um, single, singlehood, it says in scripture, which you should know this, um, is desirable and is better and gives you a chance to truly focus on the Lord. And if you don't have that, then um, the body of Christ is not going to grow appropriately. You have to have people empowered in singleness. And so um, we want our overcomers to know on that day that can be very depressing and challenging um, that they are a prize to the Lord and to us. And without them, we could not do this. So I want to show you a picture of some of our families. So what do we do? You know, this is the prophetic year of the parent. And good things come in twos. Um, as I said before, there's these big year-round coming out incentives. But our parents are having remarkable results this year. We've never seen, we've never seen so many families come to the ministry. Um, and before you might get three or four couples a year, we can get three or four couples a month. Um, but what we're seeing is a reconnection of the parents to their children and the children to the parents. We're seeing walls come down and communication happen in very real ways. We're seeing parents describe the insecurities they had growing up and when their relationship with the Lord blossomed and they're mentoring their children into that. And it's unbelievable. It's the most beautiful thing ever to see these walls come down and people get along with, with their parents and be able to identify with one another. Parents are coming out of shame. Um, you know, I used to have a lot of animosity towards parents. <laughs> I, um, I dealt with same-sex attraction for years and didn't share anything. And then when I came forward with it, it seemed very traumatic for them. But I thought, well, I, this was traumatic for me for, as a child for years. And part of my healing was when the Lord helped me to identify with them. And the truth is, we come from our parents. And regardless of how well that went for us, we all have a perfect heavenly father that can mentor us from then on out. Uh, we also get to train Christian leaders. Uh, we've been in our local pregnancy center for the last few years. We've done about 15 trainings there. And they started having lesbians come in who had in vitro and other ways that they had gotten pregnant. And they said, Derek, we've never had lesbians come. And, um, and so... What was interesting is the Lord placed us in there and the staff and the volunteers were able to come forward. We were there every week for a year and they would ask questions and even their own families were getting healed through the pregnancy center. And so I just want to encourage you to let the boxes drop and to see everyone as an individual and in their story and a child of God um, and let the Holy Spirit make you stay when you need to stay and listen. So I'm going to tell you a really fun testimony, guys. So I was a Methodist preacher's kid. Whoop, whoop for the Methodists. Any Methodists? Okay. Yes. Um, so I'm going to kind of run through this. Some, I feel like I hit every single stumbling block, you know, in development. So I'm not going to go over them all. 
but some of these might resonate with you. And you'll notice um, in the people who like started to come out but didn't fully go into the life that they tend to tell their story from the beginning. So I'm going to start there. Um, I was born two months early when my mom was having a grand mal seizure, and I was stillborn. And I didn't find out till I was 20. And that kind of goes to show how some things just weren't talked about. And when I was four years old, I went through some procedures because that was pretty early. I was pretty small. And I think it had a lot to do with some insecurities that I had, if I'm going to be honest. And um, I had the typical, you know, um, pastor's family. My dad was working a lot, um, serving the community, and my mom was trying to prevent sin in the house. <laughs> And my mom was like my best friend and my nemesis. And um, there were some things I learned even at a young age that, I, that it, it was just hard to have a voice in a situation like that sometimes. Um, when, I, when I was a little bit older than that, I started forming um, fantasies at night. I didn't know anything about sex. I just knew prostitution was bad. <laughs> And, um, and so I would just, like, daydream about being held. And it became eroticized, just that thought of being held. And I knew it was wrong, but I didn't know what to do about it, and I didn't want to bring shame to the family, so I didn't say anything. Well, on this little Methodist church in Fort Pierce, Florida, when I was nine years old, these evangelists came. And thank God... And the person who was speaking said, if there's something that you're dealing with that no one else can help you with but God, you need to come forward. And I stood up in that little Methodist church and had a Holy Spirit encounter. <laughs> no one knew what was going on. And I'll never forget, I stood up, I took a step, and my vision went away. But I felt my feet keep walking. And when it was kind of like a windshield, when the windshield cleared, my eyes cleared the altar was right there, and I was weeping. And this person, this woman came to me and said, I'm supposed to put oil on you. I'm just like, yeah. a nine-year-old Methodist. And my parents come up, and they're like, oh, I don't know what happened. It was the first time I was ever on the front row of the church by myself. And I knew something was pivotal that day, but I didn't know what it was. And for the next two years, I no longer had same-sex attraction. I'm not lying. I didn't. I wasn't fantasizing at night to fall asleep or to calm myself or anything. Um, but by the time middle school rolled around, it was like everything came back with a vengeance. The intensity of the same-sex attraction was bewildering. It was hard to have a conversation. It was hard to make it stop. And it just continued to build. And so the, I would liken it to when someone has a stroke and they tell you how they're tired they're so tired, they just want to take a nap because they're thinking about how to move their shoulder, how to move their elbow, how to move their wrist, how to move their fingers. And it just becomes everything is extra work constantly. And so a lot of times um, when, I'm, when I'm ministering to somebody or someone is sharing their story, you can tell the exhaustion. And you know that why they would snap. You can tell why they would be angry 
Um, it is like a stereotype, let's be real, um, that people dealing with same-sex attraction can snap. And, um, and I would liken that to the mental exhaustion. Here's something, if you want to know what someone really wants, they want relief. They are tired. And so we are so blessed to have the Prince of Peace. We can call on the Holy Spirit. We can pray for someone. And for the first time in months or years, they can feel the relief of the Holy Spirit. When I was really struggling, the only time I felt relief was when I would worship. When my gaze was on the Lord and he would give me relief. And I just wanted to worship. I mean, I would exhaust myself. And that can happen too. So I kept it a secret until the day my dad retired. I came home. My parents sat me down and said, this is the day. Your dad retired today and we're not going back. And I was an idiot. And I told my parents right then. So we didn't talk about it for three years, and I'll never forget sitting next to my mom and saying, you know, mom, we had a conversation three years ago about my same-sex attraction. And she goes, yeah. And I said, what do you think about that? And she goes, oh, I thought it was just a phase. And I almost died inside, because <laughs> to me it wasn't a phase. And I realized that my parents might be the last ones to benefit from any healing I got. Not because they did anything wrong, but because that's where our relationship was at. And I want to encourage you because there are a lot of parents out there that are trying to kind of guess and feel their way into this relationship. There is such amazing hope for what the Lord does between parents and children. You have unbelievable favor. I was talking to my kids this morning, and I said, you know, by being my child, I'll never be able to stop loving you. It's innate. It'll never go away, and there will never be anyone who will love you more than me. And they were like, oh, yeah. And I said, and similarly, you will always want my approval. And there's no getting out of it. But it's okay. I'm letting you know I already approve. And so there are things that the Lord does in our life that he integrates it into our family. And so even if it's something small like that, it has big implications. And it provides so much relief to so many people. So, sure. Um, there was a time when I was in seventh grade where I was really struggling. I don't talk about this ever. But you're privy to it. So here we go, Lord. <laughs> so when I was in seventh grade, I got dared to try out for the cheerleading team. And I was in a brand new school. And I said to the other boy, I was like, if I have to do it, you have to do it. Um, and so we both tried out. And because I tried out for the team, I got heckled really bad. I made it on the team, and my name is Derek Richard Paul. And so they said Derek, Richard, and Paul made the team. And 
people would come into the classroom and say, where's Derek? And then they would harass me while the teacher was teaching in seventh grade. I remember there was this one time, well, this happened many times, where I would go to school and there were a group of boys that would throw coins at me. And I remember one day, um, he, one of the boys says, um, you notice why we don't throw quarters? Because you're not worth quarters. And it's weird how the nature of someone else's brokenness and the misperception of an insecure boy can say that that all happened because of my same-sex attraction. But the truth was that happened because of some broken boys. And they, I was just the easy target. They would have done it to anybody, but it just kept happening to me. And there was a point where I realized that had nothing to do with same-sex attraction. That had nothing to do with being gay. And one of the traps of these identities that don't last is that they misattribute all of these negative and sometimes even positive attention experiences into a stronghold identity. And the thing that we all have here is we have the Father who bestows the true identity. Um, in 2010, I was finishing grad school, and I had about five years of um, intensive research and support group for same-sex attraction. So at this point, I knew from being kind of in the gay community from about eighth grade on, but have never having acted out with anybody, um, and having everyone's disclosures always to me, <laughs> and then having um, a few years of really strong recovery work, I knew both sides of this thing, backward and forward. And the thing is, you can know all of the right things, but without the revelation of the Holy Spirit, you're not changed. I can tell you all day the things that happen, but it takes the Holy Spirit to break the chains and to get you to see who you are in Christ. So it was a difficult time. We went through um, two transmissions within a couple weeks. Um, we ran out of money for food and people were giving us canned goods to eat and um, I was hitching rides with other people, places. It was a very depressing time. And the enemy came to me, and he's come to others and said this lie. But I'm going to tell you the truth after I tell you the lie, okay? He came to me and said, if you can't trust your thoughts about sexuality, how do you know you can trust any of them, any of your thoughts? And I knew that there was a messenger of Satan, but I didn't have the strength to hold up a guard. And I remember talking to my wife, and I said, How, why am I putting ice in my cup? Why Should I tie my shoes? I was losing my mind. And I, for about two weeks, I cried. I said, I'd get home. I was finishing my degree. I'd get home. I'd sit on the edge of my bed and just cry from exhaustion, not knowing what I should do. Should I drive? Should I... What should I do? I felt completely lost. And my wife and I went to a Cracker Barrel 
and decided to separate. And I had told her, she, every time I had talked to her, she'd say, if you ever leave me, everyone will know why. <laughs> and I always, would, I always wanted her to leave so that I wouldn't have to confess the truth. So I would push her and push her and push her and be like, you know you can leave. And she's like, oh, I'm not leaving. It's going to have to be you and everyone will know. <laughs> and so she would help me to feel the weight of my decisions. Um, and so at this point, we were tired and we were kind of done. We were driving home after deciding to separate. And I felt this veil come off of my face. And all of my thinking came together and I felt it. And I remember thinking, Oh my gosh, what an idiot. The Lord has unconditionally loved me no matter what. And this woman has been the only one that has seen everything and loved me no matter what. And I said, I pull over and I said, Chantel, even if I die unhappy and I don't understand what it's supposed to be, I'm never going to give up on God and I'm never going to give up on you or our marriage. And she was like, what? And I'm like, I know. You know, you know, when the Lord gives you something that you've been desperate for, a sound mind, and he gives you even just a dab of it, you're like, it's time, baby, I'm taking it. Do not let it drop to the ground. And so ever since t- December 2010, I have not looked back. You know, the gay community will say it's perfectly fine for you to leave your spouse. Perfectly fine. You know, that's normal. You just were gay the whole time anyway. What a lie. Betrayal is the norm. Not beautiful there. Not beautiful. And so it was the first time I started receiving a little bit of relief. And I started to remember all those people that ticked me off. I remembered the things that they said and the Lord would be like, they were right. That person was right. And it was like, oh my gosh, I have a treasure trove of knowledge. (laughs) All of these people had been depositing in me and I was a piece of work. I mean, if I'm a piece of work now, I was a real piece of work. (laughs) So it really came together. And I went through about eight months of spiritual warfare. You better know it's going to come. Um, I was telling some of the guys earlier, there was a nine-year-old at my church, this little girl, and we had a fellowship dinner, and she was talking about the Lord, and she was talking about him in a way that I wanted. And it was like spring of 2011. It was right after we made this decision to stay together no matter what. And this little girl started praying for me. And one day, I go, I'm going into church, and I see this flash of white light go beside me. And right after it happened, the girl comes up to me and says, did you see that? And I was like, what? What do you mean? And she's like, yeah, so some people see things differently. And I was like, whoa, what's going on? So it came, this little girl came at a good time because I was going through some spiritual warfare. And from this, you know, little Methodist preacher's kid who had just been attending a church of God for a little while, um, I knew I needed some support and help. And I started seeking out people that knew a little bit about the Holy Spirit so they could describe to me some of the things that were happening and give me some direction. 
and man, was it helpful. Um, and I'll say from then on, I really saw a lot of my healing come through miracles. Not that I sought them, but in the right timing, the Lord would bring something and he would encourage me and he would show me how real he really was. So I'm going to give another example. How many of you get really tired during the day at work and you have to do paperwork or something at home and it's just like your mind can't stop racing. You have to keep working even when you feel like you should be in bed. <laughs> so I remember this one time I was doing paperwork for home health, which you're always doing paperwork for home health. And I go to bed at 12.30 at night and I close my eyes and the lights turn on. And I open my eyes and it's pitch black. I close my eyes and the lights turn on. I open my eyes and it's pitch black. Now that's something that they don't tell you about when you become a Christian, you know? So I, I didn't know if it was the Lord or not. And I said, stop it in Jesus' name. <laughs> so the next night I'm doing paperwork, guess what? Till 12.30 at night and I'm frustrated and tired and I go to lay down. I close my eyes and the lights turn on. I open my eyes and it's pitch black. And I'm like, okay, this is very distracting. I'm trying to fall asleep. You know, please let me fall asleep. I don't know if this is you, Lord, or not. And I roll over, and the light is now next to my bed. And I'm like, come on. So, I mean, come on. Methodist goes to a Baptist church. This is happening to me anyway, okay? So then I'm driving on my way to see a patient, and lights start shining in my truck. In my truck. Inside my truck. In Gainesville, the trees go to the sky. There's no way the sun comes down like that. It was very distracting. I didn't know if it was the Lord or not. And I said, please stop. I can't drive. <laughs> so I get to a patient's house, and there's this lady, and she seems like she kind of gets it, you know? She... When I started taking care of her husband, so honestly, my healing from same-sex attraction came from everywhere. So please don't count this story out either. So I'm taking care of her husband, and he had a bed sore out of nowhere. And she goes, that's okay, I'm just going to pray for him. I was like, yeah, I believe that. You know, <laughs> like, chill, let's pray. I mean, but it was like a stage two. So I'm like, Jesus, help. You know, so we pray. I come back two days later, and there's no evidence. None. There's no, there's no blanching. There's no pink. There's no nothing. No evidence. The nurses are like, what happened? We came to do wound care, and there's no wound. You know. So I had an inclination. This woman understood some things of the spirit. Well, I'm talking with her, and I said, gosh, you know, these lights are showing up in my truck. And she's like, you know, it might be the Lord. I was like, it might be, but I'm scared. And she's like, you're supposed to say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So here this, like, patient's wife is totally ministering to me, right? And so I'm like, okay, okay. So this is the reality of the Jesus we serve. He is absolutely everywhere. There's nowhere you can go where he isn't. So you can be in the gay club, and he'll, like, totally wake you from your stupor, and it's over, baby. And there's no chance you're going to enjoy that again. So, right, it's the way it is. You can clap. Yeah. So, um, 
So I go to church on Sunday, and my pastor, who's like, he likes to preach, he likes to do the work, he likes to be the one, invites someone from the congregation to preach that day who had never preached before at our church. And he gets up and he says, today I'm going to talk about how the Lord shows up in the darkness. <laughs> and he gave an example of how um, when his mom died, he was in a car and there was a flash of light in the car and he knew it was the Lord to minister to him when he had just heard that his mom died. Now, isn't that a good story? Like, the Lord is amazing. And I started to realize there was nowhere where I could go where he couldn't sustain me. And so some of you out there, you've been trying to do Christianity. You've been trying to hold all the cards in the relationship. And the onus is on the father. You know, my son, he's a child. And I would never expect him to have to hold the whole relationship for us. I'm the father, and he came from me, and I can mentor him in relationship. And so I want to encourage you, um, if you're like struggling in your relationship, the word says that you can ask for more faith. You can ask, and he'll give you good gifts. Some of you are really struggling with whether or not you'll get married. Some of you are struggling with um, your same-sex attraction, but you're not gay. Some of you are struggling with all sorts of things. But I want to encourage you to let the Lord disciple you in every area and then watch how it affects the thing that, that you're asking the Lord for. You know, I wasn't supposed to be able to have children either. When I was four, um, I'm just going to say it, one of my testicles hadn't dropped. And I had surgery, which was part of this really awkward experience with my body and my parents not talking about it. And then I found out in anatomy and physiology too that if this occurs, that you have a very low chance of being able to have children. So even when I started to date Chantel and it was like going through puberty again, um, I had to tell her, I don't know that we'll be able to have kids. And the Lord ministered to us. He told us. He even sent someone to our church to talk to me and tell me what about our children. And in faith, we started preparing the room. We started painting it and putting up decorations and putting up a crib and everything because we knew that we would get pregnant. And... When it happened, you should have seen the faces of my coworkers because they knew I wasn't supposed to be able to have kids. But patients would say, uh, you know, you're married, you're going to have kids. And people don't, and I'll say this especially to um, those who are single or married or dealing with same-sex attraction, that's the natural answer or question that people ask. It's not because you don't measure up. So people would ask that, and I'd say, yeah, I'm going to have kids. I'm going to have three, and we're waiting on the Lord, and we've got the room ready. And people were like. <laughs> but then when my son came, everyone was like. And then when my daughters came, it was like, how is this happening? And it's because we depend on our Lord. Yes. Chantal, can you come up, please? 
can we use this mic? So I would like you to share a couple things that you saw that were different off the top of your head, if you're comfortable with that. Yeah, tell them what it was like before, and then just give them a couple instances. We talk about this from time to time. So. Okay, um, so when we first got married, uh, Derek was, our marriage was kind of like a companionship, I want to say, because it was... Well, everything worked, and it was good, but it didn't have that X factor you're thinking. So, like, I know he loved me. He was respectful. But there was a little bit more of, like, a friendship there. And there was something missing in the attraction that he had towards me that I sensed, only because I had dated before. So I kind of knew. Um, so there was just a little something that wasn't there. Um, and I kind of joked about the way he used to dress and things like that. Um, he used to really care about his, his looks and um, those sorts of things. And when the Lord healed him, he didn't care about those things. Like he would go to Walmart and be like, oh my gosh, I just got these, this thing on sale. And I'm like, really? Like that's not, you know, it's like his looks changed. You know what I mean? <laughs> Like those things that mattered before didn't really matter. The Lord kind of just naturally started changing him and creating him the way God had designed him to truly be. Like the things that he was like, like looking after and the things that he was like trying hard to do or portray, you like weren't doing those things anymore. And, like, his love for me had changed. Like, it was very obvious. Um, I sensed it. He, okay, so this was a really big thing. He wouldn't naturally think of me first um, in the beginning. Um, he was respectful. He would open my car door and things because he was, like, raised right. But um, I don't know, like, maybe... Um, we had to meet up after work or something and it would be late and maybe he grabbed food and then I would meet there and he, maybe he forgot to get food for me or just things like that. Like he wouldn't, he, his mind was going so much that he wouldn't sometimes remember to think about me. And now it naturally just comes out of his like being to think of me and his family he wants to protect us, provide for us. He leads our family. Just all the things that God designed a husband to do naturally just like comes, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, so one of the things that was kind of interesting is, um, It was really difficult because, like, my body was starting to wake up, but there was just an impedance there, and part of it was I hadn't let it die. Like, you really have to let it die and give God a good amount of a chance. <laughs> and um, the Lord started really working in my life, and there was a point of deliverance, 
So like I was entertaining lust regularly and I couldn't make it stop. It wasn't that I wanted to, but I couldn't make it stop. I felt like a slave to it. And I remember um, I realized there was something wrong. And so I had made a commitment that I was not going to look, I'll just PG for people, look at bad things or do bad things by myself. And I was gonna give that to the Lord and I was instructed to pray that the light of the Holy Spirit would shine on me. And when it did, I saw some nasty things. And I prayed that the Lord would take over and cleanse me, like his light would be like antiseptic. And when that happened, I felt a difference. And I had to discipline myself to guard that. And things started naturally changing. Um, within a couple years, my my attractions were so infrequent that I forgot that I dealt with same-sex attraction. So I had like two months, and then I had attraction, then two months, then attraction. And this was something where I'd have 10 to 15 times of attraction in an hour regularly. So it would go like two months, two months, then it was eight months, then it was about a year and a half, and then about two years. And when you have such a change like that in frequency, you forget what it's like to have same-sex attraction. So I stopped like communicating like an ex-gay or a gay or any of them. And I, and at the same time, I kind of got kicked out of the club and um, I got kicked out of the ex-gay club because I wanted something more. And so um, there were 45 men in my church and for two years I sought out how to get to know them and treat them well and listen to them. And I started to see that we weren't different. Sure. Um, and so the Lord started doing a work because I couldn't be attracted. I, ha I had been forgiving these men as I got to know them for my judgments upon them. Um, so I know that we have some time here. I think it would be good for us to, like, have you come up, I guess? Yeah. Yeah. So before we start the Q&A, I'd like to have the ushers come up. Derek's just getting started. You might get that feel, right? He's going to share a lot of information and not just his story, but to help equip us as believers in a generation that has lots of crookedness, right? And we want to be the light there. And so um, he's going to be here Sunday morning. Just want to put that out to you at 10 o'clock. But if you want to sow into this ministry that is having a powerful effect um, within the church and also outside of the church, speaking the truth in love and transformation is happening by the Holy Spirit, we ask that you would sow into this ministry. Um, text to give number is going on the screen. So if you want to text to give to that number, text the speaker and everything will go to Derek Paul and the ministries that he's part of, okay? Fair enough? So let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to quicken our hearts and to tell us what to do with his money because it's all his. Um, so Lord, we thank you for Derek, for Chantel. We thank you for them coming here. We thank you for the way that you've transformed his life by your power and the way that you're transforming and shining through them into the lives of others and causing transformation to be catalyzed through them and to be to spread like fire. Um, 
Let your kingdom continue to expand. So, Father, we bless them in Jesus' name. We thank you for the opportunity to give your money to your causes. And so we release it and we obey the Holy Spirit now. And we thank you for this time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so Q&A time. So what we'll do is I'll uh, start with the first question. And then if you just want to make a line, just right here. Just come on down. If you got one right now, just come on down. Um, all right, so Derek, um, you, were, you told a story in the office earlier, and uh, I think it may be helpful. But my question is, so in a community where I don't struggle with same-sex attraction, but I may have a brother or sister who does, um, what are some things I can do to help them in that struggle? And the story I'm talking about was when Chantel and you guys, I think, had first met. And you told her about that, and she made yes. a statement to you that kind of kind of shook you. And I'm not saying we need to do all that, but what are some other tips we could do? Yeah, so the story he's referencing is, um, thankfully, I only shared my struggle with Christians. And back then, um, Christians in general believed that you don't live the gay lifestyle. <laughs> so it, there was a good amount of protection in doing it that way. And while a lot of Christians would say, you know, I'll love you no matter what, in, in my perception, that was like a contract, like they better love me then, no matter what I did. So I was glad they loved me and were trying to be a safe place, but at the same time, I was kind of perceiving something else, and that does tend to happen. What she did is she had her own testimony, and she knew the power of God for herself, and um, she said, well, yeah, I'm glad you um, felt like you could tell me that. Um, but I believe God can do anything, so what are you going to do about it? And it was the first time I ever had a Christian or anybody put it back on me that I was responsible for my own healing. And I realized, what am I going to do? I have no idea. You know, and so what she did is she started sharing testimonies with me. I would go visit her. She was um, in a collegiate apartment, and um, I was blocked from the internet because my parents were afraid that I might, you know, get on and look at something bad. Um, and so, even though I hadn't, which is interesting, um, and so she would pull up testimonies, and I would go over, and she would have them ready for me to watch. And it was the first time I had ever heard of people leaving homosexuality. And I'm just sitting there, you know, at her desk watching these testimonies. I would encourage you, and I tell everyone in our ministry, they are not allowed to be a part of our ministry unless they will share what God is doing in their life and share their testimony. It's a requirement. Um, if they are not willing to share their testimony, if a parent or a pastor or anyone's not willing to share, they cannot be a part of us. And all of a sudden, things change. Um, so I want to encourage you, don't think of your testimony as small, even if it seems small. There are three things that gay people believe. Um, we know that God is good, he is all-powerful, and he's present everywhere, right? But to someone dealing with same-sex attraction, they think God isn't all-powerful, or he would have changed them. He isn't all-good, or else he wouldn't be so unfair that they have to deal with this, and others don't. And he can't be everywhere because the gay community seems so happy and no one's doing anything. 
But the truth of the matter is when the Lord reveals that he is good, he is powerful, and he is everywhere, he does it through your testimonies. So when you're like talking with your coworker and you share the goodness of the Lord, they see God is there. And then when they go to the gas station, someone shares, they see God is there and they cannot outrun him. And they realize he's everywhere and he's watching everything. And they realize that he's good and he does even little things that are important. And then he's everywhere. <laughs> so it, it helps people to integrate their faith when you share even a small testimony because they know God's good, he is present everywhere, and he can do anything. Yep. I got more questions personally, so <laughs> come on. So um, for individuals that have same-sex attraction, what practical things on their part? She said, what are you going to do about it? What practical things can they do to steer in a different direction, um, whether it's when they're tempted or even prior to, just ad adjusting themselves? And then also, what practical things can we, who are not that way, help them, encourage them, things that we can say and not say, don't say? Yeah. So first off, just know that our community is a needy community. It is. And in the gay community, which is much less a community and almost a religious thing, um, people are very touchy. People give a lot of attention all at once. So you're used to that. And the church is not that way. The church is not super touchy. The church doesn't give hours and hours of endless attention. So, um, so it's important for us to have that understanding and when someone is struggling to hear that and to be there for them in an appropriate way. Um, I would say for someone that's struggling, first, you, you need to ask God for help and pay attention to when he delivers. Um, if you're doing things that someone has told you before aren't good for you, I'd encourage you to consider if you need to take a break from that and to... Um, some things I do to keep the light coming in is I'll read the Bible myself on a, in the book form and I will speak the word of God in my home and I'm cleansing my home. I'm making it a welcome place for the Lord and then any other sort of spiritual influence that would take advantage of me um, is gonna get real tired of that. And then, you know, you pray over your home and property. You can invite people from your church to come pray over your home. There'd be a place of rest and a place of blessing, a place where you're not in need all the time. Um, a lot of our community, um, I would say a lot of our culture um, needs assertiveness training. We are used to having our boundaries crossed. And we don't know when we're supposed to say something or not supposed to say it. So I'd say, you know, being patient. Um, and so I'll say this too, there might be some in here that are kind of frustrated that I'm using certain terms or saying things in a way. I ask that you would give me patience and forgive me. Um, and let's see what the, if the Lord will validate those things or not. We'll let the Lord be the one that validates that. Do you, was that a good answer? Okay. Yeah. 
What did your reconciliation with your parents look like, and how did it happen, and what is your relationship with, like, with them like today? Yeah, so I tried everything to get rid of my same-sex attractions. I even got into this like really messed-up cult-like weekend thing, and it was not Christian. So a lot of people who are Christians first, their relationship with the Lord isn't very strong, and they think maybe it's just Christianity in general that's bad. So they'll try anything else or they'll go into the lifestyle and they'll be like, those Christians, they don't know. Um, so can you say that one more time? I want to make sure I'm hitting the right point. What did your reconciliation with your parents look like and how did yes. it happen? And then what is your relationship with them like today? Yeah. So at that time, someone had asked me in that weekend, how is your relationship with your dad on a score of zero to 10? And I said, at max best, it's a three. I would say it's a seven. For a while, I thought it was a nine, but really the nine was a seven. <laughs> but for me, it felt like a nine, you know? So can I talk to my dad about everything? I can. Um, we are a little more settled in our ways at this point in our life, um, but it's a good positive relationship. So I see my parents multiple times a week. Uh, they, I feel comfortable with them being with my kids. Um, and I've even seen a softening and both of my parents. Um, so I have a good relationship with my parents. We talk regularly. And, um, and we're able to talk about things and disagree and it be a positive experience. It's good. Yeah. And I always say parents in general are the last to benefit from changes in their kids, at least in our ministry. So I want to encourage you, even if you don't see that your relationship is smooth, trust the Lord for when it will be. And by that point, it'll be amazing. <laughs> yeah. So what do you mean they're the last to benefit? Explain that a little bit more. Yeah, so when you're really close with somebody, um, when I got married to my wife, I was very nervous to get married to her because I said, what if I hurt you? And she was brilliant and said, well, you always hurt the ones you love. <laughs> and that's true. You know, it, you're not perfect. You're not Jesus Christ. He is and you are going to offend or hurt the people closest to you. Um, so that's bound to happen. But the Lord brings reconciliation and justification in his timing. So. Hello. Appreciate Great. you coming out. This is an awesome topic to speak on. Thanks. I'll try to formulate this quickly. And also, I hate if I'm jumping the gun. I'm sorry because I know you're going to talk more. But. I just wanted okay. to get it out there because I'm not sure. So um, me and my wife are like fresh out of college age. And so for us on campus and stuff in Christianity, we're seeing a lot of movement towards almost like a, a postmodern acceptance of a homosexual lifestyle in the church and almost a movement towards if you're rejecting that that's okay in the church, you're a bigot, yes. kind of, right? A lot, and I've lost friends over it. Um, and it's even coming with the acceptance of, well, hell is just a metaphor, Right, and it's turning in almost like a universalist concept. And I've got a two-part question to that, but I'll hold the second one. I kind of wanted to see what your thoughts were on that and almost how we can properly respond to it because it gets really touchy really quick. Um, and it's almost like it happens overnight, right? Because I, I grew up with certain people who didn't have this opinion. And then overnight you have a conversation again and it's this big massive swirl of, oh, you don't believe this. Well, then kind of you're the enemy, you're the outsider. How do you not see this? And boom, boom, boom. Does that make sense? So kind yeah. of what, what's your thought on that and what's the best way for us to approach that? 
courage. Um, Revelation says the cowards go to hell first. So I would say courage. Um, It's really a shame that people who are leaving the lifestyle have to lead the charge on this, considering that they're coming from um, such a messy place. And um, I regularly get phone calls from people who are speaking and writing books and things that are in tears on the phone because they're, they were rejected by um, the world and the church, not just, you know, um, for going into the gay lifestyle. And then they finally get out of it and they're rejected all over again by both. And it's exhausting. Um, but I would say trust the Lord and be courageous. And the most mysterious and beautiful things happen that way. Um, We go to a very um, masculine church. And and they were nervous because we're putting on an event there and they're like, you know, are are there going to be a bunch of gays up in here? Like, what do we need to do? Are there going to be protesters? What's going to happen? And I'm like, everyone's going to look like church people for the most part. Um, but they, they didn't know how to represent that. And I said, look, some of them were saying they didn't know if they should even come because they didn't know what it would look like. I said, so are you saying now that you're, you're my friend, that you're not going to show up, but if the activists show up, that's okay? And then I'm outnumbered? And they were like, huh? I said, you better show up. You're showing up. Because you're my friend and this, you know, um, there's this thing going around that like stoic or masculine people are not useful in the body of Christ. And that's a load of malarkey. Um, In fact, the people who gave me the most healing were that personality type. And um, I needed exposure. I needed relationship. Um, There was a point where I was on a committee with all ex-military and police officers. And it brought so much healing to my heart. Um, And it breaks my heart when I see men, masculine men in that way, judged. Because when the Lord talks to me now in my quiet time, he sounds like them. So, you know, the Lord will be like, nope, this is the direction now. No question. That's how the Lord talks to me now. And I'm cool with it. Um... But yeah, there is this whole like bigot thing going on. So what? <laughs> you have a you have a and a someone who's bestowing identity of eternal origin. Like there the person who gives us our identity, Jesus, was the word. So what? So what? I just want to encourage you, you know, you, the fear over persecution is so much worse than the actual persecution. There's a grace for persecution. So I just want to encourage you, don't be afraid. That's great. That's okay. great, yeah. Is it okay if I ask one more question? Okay. I'll ask one more and then yeah. there you go. Uh, this is kind of a, an example of one of the ideologies that's moving. I don't know if you've heard this before. If you haven't, I don't know is an okay answer. I just wanted to throw it out. It's something that my wife actually found online that we started digging into. 
This and is so cool to hear, like, we're digging into this online. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We did. We did. Well, yeah, I, I studied Greek a little bit in college, and it has to do with scholars now are, are yes. digging in. And, and basically what it is is, is I, I'm not going to be able to recite the word, but it's a Greek word. Yeah. And they're basically saying the Greek word for homosexuality yes. actually came about in 1946. Yes. And before that, it meant pedophile, so that no. it's actually demeaning pedophilia and not homosexuality. Response. Thank you, Jesus. So this is such a Jesus thing. This came to me just this week, and the Lord told me I had to prepare for this question. So, I know, go Baptists. Um, so the word is arsenikotoi, arsenikotoi, and um, it is a arson. Is, arson is for men. It's for men. Um, because obviously everyone knows that this book was not originally written in English. Okay. So, um, so we forget that and we need to say that because it should be translated. Um, so when it was translated, and you guys know this, I'm sure, um, Paul took two Greek words um, from Leviticus chapter 18 and chapter 20 where it talks about men betting with men as they would with women. And that's exactly what that word that he used actually means. It's actually men who bed. So because the picture of that word men um, can also relate to male, um, and a male can be a male throughout the lifespan, um, people have gone and taken one little word that it could be like boy, young man, man, you know, throughout the lifespan and said, no, that just means pedophile. First of all, pedophile is not exclusively homosexual, but this word is exclusively homosexual in origin. It literally is arsenikotoi, men who bed. So he took these two parts from Leviticus chapter 18 and these two parts from Leviticus chapter 20, he combined them when he was trying to make a reference to it in um, Romans and 1 Corinthians. And he's literally using the word men who bed, which could be men who bed men or men who bed males. So we hear this, it is a distraction point um, and the pedophilia argument is not exclusive homosexual pedophilia. It is homosexual behavior, men who bed. Yeah. Hey, uh, how you doing? Thanks for coming. I really appreciate it. Um, so I've, yeah. I've got like four questions, but I can go around in circles. Uh, yeah, that's, okay. that's good. Um, a bit like my life, unfortunately. I'm just playing. Um, so uh, I'm a dancer. Yes. And so, you know, something I've seen a lot in my experience, I've been dancing since as a teenager, is that that seems to be a really major connection point, I think, for the community. Um, and so, I was wondering why you felt that was, in a simple question. Yeah. Um, well, dance has a lot to do with freedom. Um, when you're trying to create a freedom, a lot of people will dance to create a freedom. Um, but we've already been given freedom. So when we're dancing, we're not dancing to necessarily create something. We're dancing because we already have it. So um, dance is good for people who feel lost in their skin. Um, it helps them to integrate. And 
And so we actually teach worship flagging classes at conferences so people who have not been able to use their body in expressive worship get a chance. And a lot of times they'll say, I never knew worship could feel like that. Um, so I think that there, dance does have a part to it. The other part is dance is very aesthetic. There's a beautiful part to it and there are lines to it. And especially for males, um, they, um, they have a preoccupation with beauty sometimes. So you'll, you'll see it pronounced and manifested on the outside um, in the way that they'll dress or do things. And I did the same thing. And I would come home with some clothes that my wife was like, that's going to get some attention in a way that you don't, that's not beneficial. Um, when I used to look in the mirror, I would see a prettier version of myself. And it was really odd when the healing started happening. I would walk by a mirror and I would see as I was. And it was incredible. So when people say, oh, why do they still dress like that? Or why do they still look like that? It's, not be, it's because to them, that's what looks good. And I, even when I was in the ex-gay community, I would get made fun of for having facial hair because it was like I was trying to be masculine. But what was really happening is it looked better on me. And so I would try something out and it actually started to look normal on my face. <laughs> Um, where before I looked girlish and when I would look in the mirror. So having hair come out there looked really odd and made me feel awkward. Okay. And just to go with that question, um, yeah. and then I'll go back to the back of the line, um, is do you feel like, because um, I've been to a lot of churches, and so mm -hmm. I'm quite expressive, I'm quite free, and so dance is just going to yeah. come with me, right? Um, so do you feel like the church um, is lacking in a creative outlet and the, it could help shift things a lot in this regard. I'm trying to make my questions simple. I talk a long time. So. You did a good job. Thanks. You did a good job. That was a great question. Nothing like put me on the spot. Yes. I think it would be very helpful if we let the Lord decide what he wants to do in his services. There's a woman in my church um, who paints watercolor in her seat and it helps her focus and she gives them out to people in the church. And so our first Sunday, she gave us one. And, um, and so it really ministered to us because in a way we were like, there's some like good soil here. This is, we were kind of unsure what we would get. And when we saw that she was allowed to watercolor in the second row, it was encouraging to us. So you talked about uh, dealing with spiritual warfare a lot in your past. Um, yes. And as time progressed, the attacks were happening less frequently. And I'm assuming yes. that you've been walking in freedom of that for a while. Um, still with having that, that history and that background, does warfare continue to come up? in your life now, and if so, how do you deal with that? Yeah, that's an incredible question. Um, warfare tends to come up more during periods of transition, and um, the place for people with same-sex attraction tend to be in their dreams. Um, it's really common for someone getting off of porn or um, kind of cleansing their eyes 
basically, to start having sex dreams where they feel taken advantage of or maybe even enjoyed it. And then when they wake up, they feel like they went through the actual process of doing that and they feel dirty that day. And then the whole day they're not living like a child of God because they feel dirty. And so um, when they come to the ministry in the first two visits, I normally say, hey, so have you started having the dreams yet? And they'll be like, what do you mean? And then I'll describe it and they'll go, oh my gosh, yeah, that's me. I'm like, that happens to everybody getting free of sexual immorality. It's not just you. You're doing great. That doesn't actually happen unless you're fighting it. So you're having to overcome someone, something that's trying to project and trying to instigate, and then you have a flesh that's trying to fight for it to remain. Um, and so that's one of the main things. We actually, there's scripture that talks about how the Lord will speak over us while we sleep, and he'll put out our plans for the day. He'll wake us up and everything. So we talk about that and how to surrender our mind to Christ as the strong man while we sleep. We ask him questions and expect him to give us answers while we sleep and then be ready for the next day. So that's one of the major things that we deal with regularly is the dreams. And then we do have people that have tried to overcome things through occult practice because their relationship with the Lord didn't do it for them. And so we talk about um, how to overcome occult practices too and we'll pray for them and, um, and have a team praying for that person as well. Yeah. Do you feel like following up on that, the spiritual warfare has lessened for the same-sex attraction in your life? Yes. Yes. Um, I don't think of myself as an ex-gay person. I just think of myself as a man. And what's happened is people, our ministry has become very diverse. Um, it used to be that ministry only happened to people leaving homosexuality. Like they had to be in the life and come out and then they could get it. And then because I had never actually been with anyone but my wife sexually, um, we started getting testimonies like that where people hadn't gone into the life yet. And then they would be like, oh my gosh, your story's like mine. So then we got, started getting some diversity in that. And then because I had, the Lord had helped me to forgive so many types of people, um, even men, all types, we started having men come to the ministry that would confess that they were molested but that they weren't like gay. They're like, I just, this happened to me and I need to tell somebody. And then we had, so it's, and it's kind of branched from there. Do you know that one in five of all adult men has been molested as a child? Yes. And when the Lord showed me that, I was leading a men's Bible study full of like mechanics and construction workers. <laughs> it was ridiculous. And every week a new one would confess and uh, we started the small group from testimony. And these guys were confessing, and I'm like, wait, they were never gay, but they had like more gay sex than I did. And I was like, God, if they don't have to be gay, then why do I? So it, it really helped. And then other people would share their experiences as well. Like there, was, there were a couple people I met that never had a sexual attraction in their life, and yet they were married with kids. And I was like, gosh, Lord, this is really a messy thing altogether. And so we started getting men and women that didn't fit the typical mold. And the Lord was able to minister to all these people. And 
it's an incredible thing because the Lord uses them to set each other free. Yeah. So I guess this is, uh, I'm going to say like a pers- something personal and end the question. Um, my brother came out, I think, a year ago maybe. Uh, anyway, so he's going to get married next year. And he has asked me to be his best man. Um, I guess my question is how should us as Christians uh, respond to, uh, I guess, respond to it? Like, uh, should we be more worried about what, I think we should be worried about what Jesus says, but I guess the WWJD has come to mind too, so. Mm-hmm. I just, uh, I just would like some insight on what, what to do, what sure. we all should do. Yeah. So for people who teach others to sin, there is a more strong punishment. The Bible says that those who teach little ones among us to sin, it is better, it's like having a, a stone tied to their neck and being drowned. And um, so I'm going to give you a foundation knowing that the consequences could be very dire for me. Um, When you attend a gay wedding, you are a witness of approval. And there's a point in the service where they say, speak now or forever, hold your peace. And that's the contractual agreement that if you don't speak up, you will forever hold your peace. So you're coming under that kind of backwards curse in a way. Um, So I tell people not to go, but explain why you can't go because this has eternal consequences. And to let them know that you love them. Now, here's the thing. If you are spiritually filled up and ready and you have people praying for you and you're going as a missionary you may be able to go to the reception because you're a testimony that in your faith that the Lord does not approve of the wedding, but you still exist and so does the Lord and you're opening yourself up to scrutiny because they know you weren't there. Um, So that's the most difficult thing to do um, of all the difficult things to do. Um, but you, I would encourage you not to go. There are some parents who have said, I went and it was so healing for us. It was so, I thought it would be bad and it really wasn't. And I would encourage you not to think just because there wasn't a terrible negative consequence that something bad didn't happen. Um, when you sin, it's not until holiness enters the room that you realize that you sinned. Um, so... And I've had a former lesbian activist tell me that she was really glad her parents didn't come because they don't have a memory of that wedding like she does. So I'm just going to give you that and say if you need encouragement and prayer, there's a church here that will be with you and follow up, and I'm connected to them, and I'll be praying for you as well. Back of the line, Sam, back of the line. <laughs> so I oftentimes hear the, um, 
I don't want to say argument, but uh, I guess the opinion that same-sex attraction is not what's actually wrong, but it, that it's acting on the the attraction that's the the wrong thing, the, I guess, sin. So I just wanted to know your thoughts on that. Sure. So when God designed needs for humans go unmet, they pervert or divert. So um, when there are certain things that need to happen and they don't happen when they're supposed to, that doesn't mean they go away. Um, there's always consequences, whether it leads to some other addiction or something else or some other perception that happened or it ends up manifesting in same-sex attraction. Um, when people get what they need from the Lord and others and they um, are secure in their skin, it's really hard to be attracted to the same sex. Um, so I have, I would say, uh, a comprehensive, a more comprehensive worldview in that I think spirituality has some part to play in it, spiritual warfare and those things. I think development is very big. The research shows that environmental factors definitely play a major role and individual perceptions of those experiences are paramount. So um, it's true that acting out on sin is sin, um, where people can see it. Scripture says that um, when a desire has conceived, it will give birth to sin. <laughs> so um, the desires are not holy. Um, and let me give a difference between attraction and lust. So I, the people get that really confused. Um, human beings are supposed to have sexual attraction or else they wouldn't exist anymore. Okay? Lust is coveting. So lust is, uh, as an example, when you take a snapshot of someone to remember it for later to please yourself. And it completely removes them from their humanity. What I mean by that is you can't lust for someone when you're thinking about their father or their grandma who's praying for them or their spouse or their children. And you'll hear that even with um, affairs that people kind of have like a mental block of thinking of the others that will be impacted. So um, sexual attraction is natural, but lust dehumanizes. And to the person who's doing it, they don't realize that's what's happening. Um, so I, I guess that's kind of my answer in a way to that. Okay, so I have a question, but I'm like listening to all of this other stuff and I'm like trying to formulate the words of my question. But I think in general, I'm like a deep thinker and I, um, when I encounter stuff or see stuff, I try to, I just try to understand, you know, like why is this happening? Why is this going on? And I would just, I guess my question, if, I, if this comes out right, is like, in your opinion and in your relationship with the Lord, why do you feel like this topic is such a topic that's being, that seems like the agenda of the enemy is behind to like twist and confuse people? Do you have any spiritual insight? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, why is it this topic that can wreak so much havoc for people? 
um, and any insight on why you feel like the enemy's like, I want to use this to confuse, if that makes sense. I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Well, it's a war on reality and truth itself. And it's a war on um, God and a way to destroy his children in rapid fashion. Um, one of the things that's interesting about homosexuality is everyone thinks it doesn't pertain to them. So, like, the parents will come and they'll say, it's not us, it's our kid. The kid will come and say, it's not me, it's my parent, or it's these people that are attractive. The pastor will come and say, I'm not doing anything wrong, it's that therapist that's out there that must be doing something wrong. The therapist comes to me and says, it's not me, it's the pastor. Um, and everyone's saying it doesn't impact me, but the truth of the matter is this impacts everyone. And we've all thought it didn't impact us. Even me, I was blind to it. I'd be like, I am a good preacher's kid. I never did anything wrong. <laughs> what a self-righteous lie. Um, so I think that's part of it, but we all know the implication of Christ and his church. And that it is male and female together that are the image of God. And he is attempting to destroy that. Satan is trying to destroy that. This is a spiritual war. I can't tell you how many times we were like at the moment of winning and breakthrough. And things wouldn't work out. And the people on the other side, their lives were falling apart. And they had nothing going on. And you're like, how is this not taking? How is this not working? This is a spiritual war. Uh, we've seen it before, um, and we're seeing the fruit of it now. But this is the time, someone will say, well, if, um, basically, should I do the right thing even if I'm going to lose? It's like, first of all, that's a weird perspective, but yes. <laughs> um, so I think people are afraid of losing, and so they won't do the right thing. Is that a good answer? Yeah. Yeah. Well, John mentioned to me the kids back there are getting a little wild. It's nine ten. Let's do a couple more quickly. If you got your kids and you want to grab them and help out, you can do that. Uh, so recently, I got a job to be a wedding planner, um, and found out that we have several same-sex couples getting married next year. Um, and so one of my jobs is to reach out to vendors to check their availability and whatnot. Um, so I've already been a part of the beginning process, but I've, I've sought wisdom and read through scripture of just asking the Lord, like, I'm not necessarily attending the wedding, but I would be working it. Um, and so this guy's a question about attending his brother's wedding. It's, it's kind of the same for me of like, I don't, do I go and be that light and like, um, stand there or do I stand and not go? Um, so what would your thoughts be on that? Like from a job perspective? Mm -hmm. So I gave up my full-time job 
with no prospect. My wife had no job when I quit to do this ministry full time, but I did it because the Lord asked. So you're going to get an answer from someone like that. Um, if you don't hold the line, then it'll be me next. And I can't hold everybody's lines for them. Um, hold the line for Jesus. There's a point where you have to be willing to be fired and make them say it. There's a point where when Satan tries to take you out, you have to tell him good luck. Um, there was a point, I was a really good employee, really stinking good. I made a lot of money for my company and my patients got better. My patients got saved, my patients got off drugs, my patients got healed. And then like all the things that were measurable benchmarks for Medicare happened, okay? There was something that happened where someone was trying to get rid of me. And I came home and I told my wife, I said, look, someone is gunning for me. I've done nothing wrong. They might fire me. We're going to see if the Lord's going to hold my job. And I'm just going to keep going to that job. And they could not get rid of me. And then when I actually had to walk in and I quit in a day, I went in, the Lord had told me, go in Monday, tell him you're not doing it anymore. That doesn't happen. I went in and told them, and they said, is this a God thing? I said, it's a God thing. They're like, can you please stay a little bit? I said, nope. They're like, as soon as you want your job back, you can have it. I would encourage you to trust the Lord for your job and tell the truth. Someone has to do it. And you know what? If that nine-year-old could pray for me, then you can do it. I know it's hard, but you are not alone, and you will win. In church, I would encourage you, if something happens to someone in your congregation, everyone needs to sign a letter and send it in. And then they're like, what happened? And you're like, oh, by the way, we have lawyer friends. And they're like, what? You think I won't show up? Oh, you won't be alone. So we have, there's some resources. God's got his own resources. Anyway. So I wanted to ask you if you've ever heard that um, godly order has anything to do with individuals who have become gay. Godly order? Mm hmm what do you so, mean by that? Um, so what I mean is like in our family, in my family line, the women, is we have something that's called goddess worship. So the women wear the pants in the family. Okay. And so the men are being raised by women because the men are passive or not even there. Mm -hmm. And in return, they're gaining the, almost the role of the women. And so it would be a godly order thing where the, the man is not the head of the household, that women yeah. actually are, and it's confusing. Yes. So it's a mental confusion that's coming in. Yes. So I haven't experienced it that way, um, but 
I've experienced it through Wiccanism. So in Wicca, um, there's the mother goddess, and every year the father god dies at Halloween. And so you go through the life cycle of the male, and he dies every year. And then he gets rebirthed and comes around, but she's the consistent one. And it's a worship of the feminine. It's, a, it's, a, it's an affront to God the Father is what it is. Um, and a lot of the women that go through that, they have um, become unstabilized, and so they would use um, paganism to stabilize them spiritually and internally and emotionally. And um, that is, I feel like that is the kind that comes out by prayer and fasting. But there are people that are better at dealing with that than me. Um, but it is really important that we get, even though it seems antiquated um, in our culture to look at the roles of men and women, it is extremely important that we accept God's word as is, or else we're saying God has to change himself for us. Jesus is the living word. So um, I, even when I would read my Bible, when I was going through healing, I would just say, help me to believe you the first time. Like, help me to just accept it the first time and confirm it, confirm it, confirm it. And so that washing, the Bible in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, isn't just for homosexuals. It talks about the washing, justification, and sanctification. We have to do the washing. The Lord will justify and then produce sanctification. So I don't have anything more than that. And I pray that someone else will and be able to stand with you in that. But you are not alone. That is common. And that's somewhat that I is somewhat common in our area. Yeah. Okay, last group here for questions. Is it okay for gay people to serve within the church while they are actively living in homosexuality? Okay. That's a really good question. So I always encourage people, first, um, don't baptize someone while they still have the identity and are living the life because it's confusing. And then they're going to have to get baptized when they really do let their old life die and their old identity die, again anyway. Um, there's a really good book called A Strong Delusion by Joe Dallas that is a great book before people get baptized. Um, also with, um, scripture says that we shouldn't even eat with a Christian that is um, committing sexual immorality. And I want to be really specific because I know that porn and dirty things on TVs and smartphones are really commonplace. And even the ads today are absolutely pornographic. Um, so you can't help it when someone's doing something to you, whether it's human or not. But crossing flesh boundaries with others is completely inappropriate in the church. Um, if someone is um, committing active um, sexual immorality, especially crossing flesh boundaries, they should not be serving in a way that will confuse the church. So if someone is visually representing the church and they're gay, it is very confusing to everyone else because they're like, is this what we believe now? But they don't have the courage to say it because it already happened. So I would encourage um, everyone to get on the same page that homosexuality is a sin and um, false identities are a sin and that we don't support those. However, we have seen people that are gay, Christ gay Christian identified that are remorseful and 
they'll be like, Derek, please don't bring it up. But that's specific to our ministry. And I'll say, it's okay. God will do his business. And I've had people completely say, I never even remember that I used to be a gay Christian. So um, it's very important we're on the same page and we're not confusing the church. Everyone needs to be on the same page that the identity and the behavior are both sins. If my wife were to call herself a prostitute, within six months, I know she would be hit on regularly. It would drastically change the people around her and it would change what she thought of herself and she would start to behave like a prostitute. So, use that example. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, hi. Hi. Um, so, a good majority of us are parents here. Yeah. And me, myself, I'm a single mom yeah. who I have to rely on others to help raise my child. Yes. Just because I'm on my own and I have to provide for my child. So yeah. how do I, well, how do you and your wife address things with your children and things that I have, anything that I can do in regards, she's three and it's not getting any better in the world. Yeah. <laughs> so how would I address these things to my children? Well, that's not a big question. <laughs> um, parents are always doing their best. We're doing our best. Um, we've all screwed up. So we're gonna start today. Each day we start up and we're like, we're starting today, we're doing our best. <laughs> so first, let's just start there. <laughs> um, the Bible says you train up a child in the way they will go and when they are old, they will not depart from it. Absolutely true, even if it's not you training them. Um, Whenever I read a book, I always research the person who wrote the book and what their life looks like and if I want that life. I don't waste my time. Um, same applies to my kids. If someone's teaching my child, I want to know where they're failing. Um, we, I had my son in the best elementary school in our area, 9 out of 10, A school. And in the second month, he was, um, give, he was read a trans book, not by his Christian teacher or his Christian principal, but someone else in the school did this. And he came home, I said, what did you learn today? And he goes, that you can't tell what someone is by what they look like. He was five and only in school for two months. Um, so we don't have complete control over this culture. And there's not a ton we can do about that. And we're all just doing our best do what you can do and trust the Lord. Um, I think it is important that we talk about these things. My kids are now 10, 8, and 6, so I bring up LGBTQ with them. Um, and I do it in ways that they understand, like with animals, you know. <laughs> so I'll say, like, can I get a rabbit from two girl rabbits? And they're like, no. And like, you know, so we don't have to say it in a way that is like directly with culture, but they understand. And when they bring something up, like um, we went to um, a couple of different places and my daughter recognized the same drag guy at both. And I said, did you know that that's a man? And she's like, no. And I was like, you know, there are things that happen to people. And when they look in the mirror, 
that's the thing that they think looks good on. And she's like, oh, wow, I didn't realize that. I'm like, yeah. So we do talk about it, but we talk about it in like kid terms. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to join us on a Sunday morning or other weekly gathering, know that you're more than welcome. And if you'd like other resources on or about this ministry, or for any deeper questions you may have, be sure to visit our website at hotfmlakeland.com.